Shirley, that radio chick here with you. Welcome to the Still Rocking It podcast, where we'll have news, reviews, and interviews with some of our favourite Australian musicians and artists. Today, I share a Zoom chat that I had with Mr. Daddy Cool himself, Ross Wilson, ARIA award winning Australian singer, songwriter, musician, and producer. We chat about forming Daddy Cool in 1969 with Ross Hannaford discovering skyhooks and what he really thinks about the eagle drop. We also chat about one of his most important ever collaborations, his upcoming visit to Adelaide, plus a scoop you'll only hear here. What's Ross Wilson up to lately? Let's find out. Thanks for joining me today, Ross. The last time I interviewed you, I think in the studio, when you were over here for the Fringe Festival. Yeah, that was a while which seems like a different lifetime now. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Before that, I think I caught up with you briefly at the Gov. So thank you for Zooming with me today. No, my pleasure. We'll talk about the tour that's been rescheduled, but do you mind if I take you right back to the very beginning and ask you, Mm -hmm. with a father who was an amateur jazz musician and a mother who loved playing classical piano, were you always destined to be a musician, Ross? Was that in your DNA? Well, I guess some of it's in my DNA in that I do have a good ear for, like, picking things up. I was never trained. I did a little bit of training, you know, self-taught kind of learning how to read music a bit and all of that, but I never took it all that far. I mean, I can understand how it works, but, but yeah, I always had a musical ear, and I guess it was because I was in a household where there was a lot of music. You know, my mother not only played the piano, but she was quite a good uh, violinist and a very good singer too. She had trained as a singer and then the Second World War came along and she had to join the war effort and so that kind of went on the back burner and in a lot of ways I think she might have projected some of that onto me. So maybe subliminally little subconscious things gave me a little bit of a push. I mean, they definitely never stood in the way of me being a band member when I was still at school and exploring different kinds of music. You know, they were never kind of too concerned about that the fact that I was following another path. When I left school, I did get a job with the public service for a couple of years, but I was still playing in bands and started to write songs and all of that, and then that, you know, took off. So once it took off, they were, I think, a little bit relieved. They never really talked about it openly with me, but I could see the look of relief when I uh, started having hit records, you know. (laughs) Do you have any siblings? Are they musical? My elder brother, he's about three years older than me, he was an artist. He was an art teacher in, in the school system and a very good one. He ended up running the whole state Victoria art curriculum for VCE. And he's a very good artist himself, though he you know didn't follow that to the extreme because he really got into teaching. His name's Bruce and he has, he's quite musical too, but he in a different way. He's more in a kind of classics and he was very good at helping put on school musicals, for instance. You know, they'd do Gilbert Sullivan and he would get the sets done and coach the kids and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, in his own way. He's more the visual guy, you know. I'm more of the audio guy. <laughs> <laughs> and just the two of you, two brothers? Yeah, that's all, yeah. You had a car accident where you seriously injured your leg and you started with your first instrument, the harmonica. Did you know yeah. before then or was that the beginning that you were going to be a musician? Well, I don't call myself a musician. No. I call myself like a songwriter, a singer and an entertainer. You know, musicians are people who are actually really, really good at what they do. <laughs> you know, I'm good at entertaining and 
pretty good singer, but I am a very good blues harmonica player. And that was where I started to kind of really dig in. And that's how I joined a band because they heard me jamming with another little band. I just played harmonica, I wasn't singing. This other band said, well, that's the kind of music we want to play. You know, can you sing? And I said, well, yes, I can. You know, I sing all the time. I was also in like choirs and things like that that my mum got me into begrudgingly joined these choirs but it did teach me something along the way about harmony and all of that so uh, you were in the church choir and you were selected as the boy soprano wedding singer that was one of the first perks of the job so I never had any problem like accepting money for playing because I knew that that's what happened if you did a, a thing because I you know me and a, maybe a couple of other kids would sing at these uh, weddings you know whatever I can't even remember what we had to sing but it was a nice touch and we get paid like a dollar or something you know pre-decimal it's like 10 shillings a pound (laughs) wow that's great so when i joined a band it was like well how much are we getting paid for this gig you know (laughs) good that's good to have that business sense so was that that first band the pink things with ross hannaford Russ Hannaford, he was my buddy, uh, he was a little bit younger than me, but we stuck up a really good rapport pretty much straight away. He was a guitarist and I was the singer. We bounced off each other and, and hung out a lot together and, and then it's where we started writing songs too. You know, I'd come up with an idea, I'd go, hey, play this and he'd kind of have a shuffle around and wrote a few songs together. He's very good at like interpreting what I did and making it sound good. So we had a great thing going there. From those early years right through to Daddy Cool, and a little bit beyond that too. So for about about 10 years, it seemed like a long time at the time. Like the first band was like 1965, you know. That's when we, we actually started playing. He was still at school, I was still at school. I went off, got a job. He was still at school for a while, then he went to art school. Meanwhile, we were like forming other bands and blah, blah, blah. I went away for a while in um, 1969 to England and came back and that's when we formed Daddy Cool. We had a few other things going but ended up, in Daddy Cool together, and that was only really six years after we'd started, you know. So a lot happens when you're like a teenage sponge, just, you know, you're not married, you've got no responsibilities, you can just do what you want to do and not care about the consequences because, you know, you got nothing, so you got nothing to lose. So it's all different when you start having kids and a family and, you know, mortgages and all that. It's like, oh, my God. You know, Responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> when you're younger, time seems to go so slow. And now the older we get, the faster it seems to go. Yeah, absolutely. For our first song today, a Mondo rock song, but not as you know it. Ross Wilson's beautiful version of Cool World from the Day on the Green Celebrating 10 Years album. Do you remember seeing Ross at a Day on the Green? More than once. We'll be back to chat with Ross after this. We'll hear what he's been up to during lockdown. We'll hear about his upcoming visit to Adelaide and also about one of his, if not his, most important collaborations. Not only are you a very successful Australian singer and songwriter, you've produced some fabulous people. I did a bit of producing. I used to be a bit of a... A sort of a talent scout in a way because I was so interested in what was going around, particularly in Melbourne. I'd be going out all the time, you know, looking at other bands, seeing what my friends were up to. So I did things like I got Joe Camilleri in to do his very, very first recording as Jojo Zepp and that was just a single. And then we ended up doing two albums with Jojo Zepp and then he left that 
connection and went off on his own and achieved great success. You know, I kind of got him going, you know, which was uh, I'm quite proud of. But even prior to that is when I, you know, pretty much discovered Skyhooks. Yeah. Way before they were kind of sounded in the way they did. They played a gig with, I had a band for a year in 1973 uh, after Daddy Cool called Mighty Kong. That was okay, you know, but we knew, towards the end of the year we knew we were going to break up, that we'd done an album and nothing much had happened. And uh, we played this gig at the Melbourne Uni and the support band was his band I've never heard of. But I knew a couple of the guys in the band, the two guitarists I was aware of, you know, they'd been around. And um, I said, who wrote those songs, you know? And they were all dressed in kind of crazy clothes and had a lot of front, you know, the front man, Steve Hill, he had a lot of kind of, you know, taunting the audience and all that. I said, who wrote these songs? Oh, that guy over there. So I said, come around and have a talk and, we'll, you know, maybe I can help you. They had everything I liked. They were funny. They were irreverent. You know, they looked different. They sounded different. And from that point on over the next year, the band rapidly changed. The two guitarists I knew left and Bongo and Red Simons joined on guitars and so it sounded pretty good. So I took them in the studio and started making demos, you know, shopping them around. What I'd done is I'd signed Greg McCain's up to a publishing deal and gave him some money, went up and got a new amp and all of that stuff. And I said, like, we've got to get these songs out there. So I'm trying to interest people in it. It's a bit of interest. And then they got on um, Sunbury, 1974, I think. Steve Hill, the singer, who was a bit of a roughhead, he was a very socialist, you know, he didn't like pop music and all of that. He was sort of for the working man and, and he's going, this is stupid, I don't want to be in this band anymore. I'm not a pop star, like, get someone else. So it was kind of funny because he ended up managing Joe Camilleri, so he came back in some way, you know. So they said, oh, we know this other guy, I'll go and find him. And Shirley Strawn was down the coast working, surfing and working on those crayfish boaters, aren't they? He comes back and then I'm going to see the first gig of them playing somewhere. And I pull up at the lights outside the hotel and this voice goes, hey, Wilson. And, you know, there's a typical Shirley Strawn sticking it up you. And I'm going, who's this? And I notice the other guys in the car and I go, oh, I'll see you in there, you know. They came on and he starts singing these songs. You know, he's a much better singer than Steve Hill was, but he took some of the persona of Steve Hill. So Steve Hill was still very important in that he had this kind of way of putting the songs across and Shirley took that just by hearing the um, demos and things we've done and ran with it, you know, and I'm going, wow, you know, this is great. And so from that moment on, suddenly everyone was interested. We did new demos. They got a deal and I put up my hand to be the producer because I'd done so much pre-production with them. And the result was living the 70s album, which still to this day, there's no one that sounds like Skyhooks. And I think that's, you know, the most thing I'm most proud of. We really got what they had and we kept it and we embellished on it and we made it into something, you know, quite new, I thought, you know. Yeah, that was a good result. And I did their first three albums, you know, and they just smashed these sales records. The, the previous record had been held by me and Daddy Cool. We'd sold 100,000 albums, which was unheard of in those days because uh, you only need to sell 10,000 albums to make a gold album. That's how kind of small it seems. And uh, so they had to rewrite the rules for how many to sell. And then Skyrocks come along like three years later and they sold like quarter of a million in a year of that living the 70s album, which is still a great figure, you know, and still people find it hard to sell that many albums. You know. I think it's time we perhaps played the title track from that album, Living in the 70s, the debut album by Melbourne band Skyhooks from 1974, produced by Mr Ross Wilson himself. I'm living in the 70s, I feel like I'm 
read correctly that you also produced the Screaming Jets as well? I did one album for them. They had had, you know, big hits like Better and, and Helping Hand and, and then they were going through a bit of like they were changing record labels and we were managed by the same guy at that time and, and so he got me involved. I produced an album called Scam which was on a different label and blah, blah, blah. So they'd kind of lost a bit of steam by then. But it, was, it wasn't a bad album. You know, I was quite happy with what I did, considering I never got paid. Oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't their fault. You know, I still love those guys. I see them yeah. around, you know, Dave Gleason and I are fine, you know. Everything's fine. Oh, good. <laughs> How about we play a song from that album, Scam, by the Screaming Jets, produced by Ross Wilson in the year 2000. Back more with Ross straight after this. We'll hear a little bit about what he's been doing during lockdown. I need your love. love. Inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 89 yourself, personally, and again as Daddy Cool in 2006. Congratulations, very well earned. Like to get Mondo Rock in there as well. I don't know why that hasn't happened. Maybe you could start a lobbying group for me. I think you're right. I think I might. (laughs) I was going to see you in Byron Bay next month, but now I'm going to see you there at Easter instead. It was going to be this Easter that gone past this year, but as everyone knows, then it was shifted to October and now that's turned to rubbish as well. So we're looking at picking it up again in Easter and, you know, a bit optimistic because of everyone getting vaccinated. By the way, everybody, I'm fully vaccinated. Me too. I encourage everybody to do that because you won't be able to come and see me if you're not vaccinated. I'm not going to cause any health issues. I want everyone to do that thing and, and we'll all get in there together and have a good time again and wipe this year because I tell you what, from... Since last March, when the pandemic first got Melbourne locked down, uh, there were a few breaks in there. And up until this time we're talking now, I've only done 19 gigs in a year and a half or more than a year and a half. We need to uh, get out of this hole we're in and I think vaccination is the way to do it. So please, if you're just feeling a bit ambivalent about it, listen, it's no big deal. I've had, I had my first vaccination when I was a kid at school polio vaccine right there used to be kids on crutches and stuff because polio was a terrible scourge kids and adults would catch it then they got the vaccine the result is in australia there is no polio now my second vaccine i got was a smallpox one when i went over to england in 1969 and everyone had to be vaccinated the result of smallpox vaccinated there's no smallpox disease in the entire world now so all this stuff about vaccines and you know crap blah blah they do as far as i'm concerned they're very very helpful so if i'm going to be any kind of role model have a look at me let's move on that's a great message <laughs> my whole family's double vaxxed we want that's our passports that's right and and people going on about having a vaccination passport is a is a, an onerous thing it's not I've had one for years where you'd go travel overseas and you have your typhoid one and your cholera one and you, had, and you show them to where the countries you're going to and they let you in. Exactly. It's not, not new, you know. It's something that's useful. All going well. We will see you at your 50th anniversary tour at our Bridgeway Hotel. Friday the 26th yep. of November, your new scheduled date. Yep, the yep. new schedule. I encourage everybody, if you buy a ticket, even hang on to it because even if it gets shifted because we're still going to be coming at, at some time. But we're shooting for November 26th and uh, hopefully be in Adelaide and putting on like a kind of a show which, of course, we'll be playing Eagle Rock because it's the Eagle Rock 50th anniversary. And, and as we speak, 
it was at number one for 10 weeks nationally from june till august 28th and then after that time the album daddy who daddy cool became number one for another two months so we were there for like you know three or four months at the top of the charts the only australian band that year to do that so it's worth celebrating and of course eagle rock's still around i still love playing it people still jump up and down and do all kinds of stuff and so i'll be playing a few more daddy cool songs than normal including some that I haven't, don't usually play that are really good songs like Teenage Blues and Loving an FJ and a few crazy things. And I'm going to show where Daddy Cool came from because we had a band called Sons of Vegetal Mother. Yeah. We're going to play a really great song. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting show because uh, I'm going to pull out a few things that you don't normally hear and I'm going to have an extra guitarist. So it's going to sound bigger and bigger and, than it normally does. So there you go. So keep an eye on rosswilson.com.au just to confirm those dates or to see the other dates. Yeah. Ross Wilson and the Peaceniks. I'll be bringing the Peaceniks over and we're going to rock the house. There you go. And have you been to the Bridgeway before? Oh, yeah. I didn't know we used to play there ages ago. You know, it's good to know it's still around. And the great thing about the Bridgeway is even if they have audience like caps, it's such a big room, you can still fit lots and lots of people in, you know. It's, uh, it's great. It's had a bit of a revival. I used to go there every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night back in the 80s. It went quiet for a while with live music. It started up again. Good. Someone's figured out how to use that room. Yeah, it's good. Well, I think it's time to play that song now that we'll hear out at the Bridgeway, Daddy Cool's Eagle Rock. We'll be back with Ross Wilson straight after this and find out what he thinks of the Eagle Drop. What do you think of the eagle drop? <laughs> well, uh, first I must say I had nothing to do with the creation of the eagle drop. But um, when I found out about it, I was quite, well, I thought, well, this, this is the Australian public being quite inventive. I don't know how they came up with that. You know, you play eagle rock, you got to drop your dacks, you keep your undies on, of course, and you stand there dancing. So it's really big at 21sts and weddings and... You know, more private parties and stuff. Doesn't happen that much in gigs. Though I did it, had a pretty good showing at the uh, the Denny Ute Muster when I played there one year. And we had people dropping their decks and girls swinging their bras over their head, you know, cowboy stuff. It was great. You've got to pull your pants up at the end of the song, you know. It's just one of those things. It's, you know, it's equivalent of no way get that the angels have got. We've got the drop. They've got that, you know. I was going to say that. So you know that your songs, you know, has gotten into the the psyche of the nation when something like that happens. Exactly right. If it hadn't already. Thank you, Australia. I appreciate the thought you've put into this. Us Aussies, we are good fun, aren't we? I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Bridgeway and we'll see you also next Easter. You know, my hubby bought the midlife crisis Harley. We rode four days solid. We're half an hour out of fire and when we got the news that it was cancelled. We were camped in Kingscliff, I think the place is called. It was not far, but it wasn't in Byron Shire. We were there just relaxing for a couple of days before Easter and we could see this disaster looming and going oh no and so we stayed where we were they pulled the plug and we were able to go home because it was you know still in a green zone so mm-hmm. um yeah, we went through that same experience really you know got fingers crossed that it's i mean it's going to be an incredible lineup actually they're still uh, adding people to it diesel's just been added so it's the all australian lineup which is uh, unique for the Byron bay blues festival because of course we can't get any 
overseas acts in at the moment. Maybe we can buy Easter, I'm not sure, but at the moment it's all Aussie and uh, incredible lineup. So have a look at the uh, posters for it online and I'm sure you'll see a whole lot of people that you want to go see there. I think it's going to be the biggest party Australia has ever, ever, ever seen. I hadn't really thought about it. I think you're right there, yeah. I think it'll go down in history like our Woodstock or other fabulous parties. In 50 years' time, they'll look back on it like we look back on those. Well, let's hope so, yeah. (laughs) We'll be back on the bike again and riding up. I'll hopefully get to say good day then. And I shall see you down the front on the 26th of November. Yeah, it's going to be great to be back in Adelaide, of course. Adelaide had a great deal to do with uh, Daddy Cool's success. I mean, we hit number one in Melbourne quite a few weeks before we did nationally, but Adelaide was right there as well. They were simultaneously. And the very first Daddy Cool gig ever was in Adelaide, where we did an out-of-town warm-up at the Aquarius Blues Festival at Glenelg Town Hall, run by Alex Innocenti. Sons of Vezra Mother had been booked, so we said all, all the members of Daddy Cool were in Sons of Vezra Mother. We hadn't played any gigs yet. I said, well, we'll go over and we'll do a tryout at the thing. So our name's on the poster for that. And then a couple of weeks later, we did our first Melbourne show at uh, the TF Much Ballroom. And then, of course, my Ponga came along. Alex Indichini was also involved in that. So shout out to Alex, he's still around. Yeah, my Ponga was a big success, you know. There was a bit of a buzz on us. I think we stole the show, basically, at my Ponga, you know, where people just went nuts. We didn't have a record out or anything. They just really liked us. And there was another semi-unknown band on that bill, and that was Black Sabbath, (laughs) who just had their first album out and somehow ended up at my Ponga. So we got to see Ozzy going his war pigs and all of that. That was pretty wild. Yeah, it was cool. It was pretty crazy. Thank you, Adelaide, for giving us a kickstart. Yeah, we'll take that. (laughs) Now, you've also written songs and collaborated with everybody, the who's who of Australian music, Jimmy Barnes, John Farnham, Troy Cassidale, UMI, Renee Gaya, Christina Anu, Becky Cole, and most importantly, the Wiggles. The Wiggles, yeah. Wiggles, I've done two songs with them. One was uh, Eagle Rock, Eagle Wiggles' version. I've done two versions of Eagle Rock with the Wiggles, with the original Wiggles and then the new Wiggles as well. And I'm a character called King Mondo from the planet uh, Rock, <laughs> which is out there somewhere. And the Wiggles come and visit me every now and again. And then we have a jam, you know. But we also did a Christmas song called that I co-wrote, not with the Wiggles, but the Wiggles loved it so much that they wanted to do a version. So we did it. It's called uh, This Little Baby Is Born Again. It's a very nice song. So done a couple of things with the Wiggles. And, uh, of course, uh, Wiggles have expanded their lineup now. They've become more diverse. They've got more characters, more people from different backgrounds, which is uh, which is going to be really interesting and I think is a good thing. Indeed. I know you all want it. I know you want to hear the Wiggles version of Eagle Rock featuring Ross Wilson. After this, we're going to find out what Ross has been up to during lockdown. Please welcome on stage King Mondo, the Wiggles and Captain Feathersword. Having had five children that all grew up on the Wiggles, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that song. Still love it. In lockdown, I have been writing new songs, so I do have a bunch of new songs which I just waiting to get a bit of a window so I can get back into the studio. I mean, I can only do so much on my computer programming, you know, like work up demos and stuff, but it's going quite well. I'm, it's helping me learn all the music programs as well. I, you know, get up to date with those again to find out what they do. Done a bit of co-writing up via the net as well. A friend of mine sent me some music and I wrote words and tuned to it and, you know, chopped it up and sent it back to him. And he, 
So things like that is pretty, you can still do creative stuff while you're locked in your house. Come up with some uh, good new songs and a bunch that I've had lying around. So the point I'm trying to get across is I should make an album. <laughs> you heard it first here, Scoop, new album. Physics will be involved, yeah, because some of the songs that we do, we tried out on, on the road, so they, you know, they're the first go-to guys, let's cut this song, you know, because we know it back to front, you know. A couple of good ones in there that we've been playing live, and they go over really well, so it's always good to road test your stuff, you know. So we might hear some of those new songs in November? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Excellent. <laughs> Great. Bye, everybody, and uh, Cheryl Lee, and hope to see you again and see you on the uh, 26th of November. Thanks for that. Bye. Let's go out with a great song co-written by Ross Wilson. The song was originally recorded by Mondo Rock on their Nouveau Mondo album in 82, then covered by Aussie singer John Farnham on his Whispering Jack album in 86. I'll leave you with Ross Wilson's version of A Touch of Paradise. You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Still Rocking It podcast. Hope to catch you again next time. Get out when you can, support Aussie music, and I'll see you down the front.